0: So, go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. Today, our text is going to be very simple. It's one verse. Listen to this word as it comes from Luke 2, verse 10. Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. This is the reading of the sacred word, and it's reliable, and it can be trusted. Would you pray with me? God, into this time of study, we bring our whole selves. Lord, we are here, and we recognize that sometimes we can be here but not really be here. But in this moment, we choose to truly be here and We pray that your spirit would open our minds and open our hearts to receive what word you may have for us that may not only strengthen us, not only undergird our courage, our hearts, but lift our heads as well, and not for our own sake, but for the sake of the world. We pray that you would show us something here in this word that so transforms us, that we cannot leave the same way we came. We welcome you now to do what only you can do to all of us in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So you know that for about nine years now, JCBC has had a really important partnership with Water is Life Ethiopia. And over the last nine years, uh, we have been able to partner through generosity with that organization to provide 10 locations in the country of Ethiopia where there are water wells and access points to clean water that has changed whole villages over the past almost decade. I tell you that for a couple reasons. First, by the way, just as an aside, even this month, Because of our church budget, we are sending another infusion of support to help install a new solar panel uh, process in the uh, solar panel water system in the south of the country that helps not only distribute more water to more access points, but also in a more efficient way, running on the energy of the sun. And that's because you give, and that's good news. But if you know anything about the water crisis in the world, you understand that. 54 million people in Ethiopia right now are without access to clean, safe, potable drinking water. And what that does is creates all kinds of problems, obviously some health problems, waterborne diseases, a health crisis beyond anything that you and I can really imagine. Not only by ingesting bad water, but the lack of sanitation and processes of sanitation cause other health conditions, let alone... Women and girls, if we're being honest, mostly, are, are responsible for, for retrieving water, uh, spend hours a day walking miles a day just to receive what can be unsafe drinking water, and on their way, put themselves in harm's way, at risk of acts of violence, and, and it causes, as you carry these 50-pound jugs, these, these cans of water, it causes um, problems physically that that prematurely wear their bodies down, some in irreparable ways, fistula problems, reproductive problems. But more than that, when women and girls spend so much time all day attempting to simply retrieve water and clean water, that's hours that cannot be spent in provoking their own human imagination and providing a possibility for education it means there's no time to learn the basic tools of starting their own business or maybe reframing the story of their family with a future that has some hope. So everything that we do in regard to supporting ministries like that, it's more than drinking water. It's about setting people free to experience the kind of abundant life that Jesus intends for all human beings to have in Ethiopia as well as Atlanta. God's desire is for every one of us to live in the human dignity that God imagined when God thought us into being. But the most interesting mystery of all when it comes to the water situation, I bring that up to you today because here's the greatest mystery. Ethiopia is not missing or is not in lack of water. The lack of water is not a problem. There is plenty of water in Ethiopia. The problem is accessing it. Many times the water that is life-giving and is the solution to many of the, the problems I just described are hidden just about 30 meters or more beneath the surface of the dry ground. That's why we and other churches partner with Ethiopians so that Ethiopians can create the the technology and the infrastructure for themselves to punch the holes in the right place to access what is in abundance, but just beyond their reach. And that is in my mind today as we talk about joy. Because there are millions of us in the world walking around with what we may describe as a kind of joylessness, a kind of joy-vacant life, and we see other people experiencing joy. That family looks as if they're, they're doing well. That family seems to be full. There's a fullness about them. There's a joy about them. That, this other person is, well, this opportunity always opens up for him, and, and she's always just had it right. And, and, and it seems like joy is out there somewhere, but not for me. Like, like it's out of, out of reach for me. And what I want to say today, I want to make the pitch to you from my heart, that it's not that joy is unavailable. It's accessing it that is the problem. There is a joy that is so abundant, like water beneath the feet of our Ethiopian sisters and brothers. There is plenty of joy in the Lord for all humankind, yet we've, we've got to learn how to access that joy in order for it to bring the kind of life it's intended to bring. Because the text that we just read a moment ago, it doesn't say, Behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which is for some people. It doesn't say, I bring you good news of great joy, which is for a few people. It says, I bring you good news of great joy, which is for all people. Yeah. So all, my friends, means all, and all includes you. You. So I want to talk a little bit about that, and as I do, I'm going to ask my friend and partner preacher in the booth to put us on confidence mode on these screens here so I can read your pastor's eyesight is growing dimmer the older he gets. But in order for us to somehow pursue a way of accessing joy like we haven't accessed it before, we have to have an agreement on the understanding of what the nature of joy actually is. Because there are some misunderstandings of what joy is. And there are all kinds of definitions out there about how to describe joy and how to pursue joy. And some have made a big deal out of, well, happiness is one thing because it's about what happens to you. And joy is another thing because it's something deeper. And that's all true. I'll buy that. I'm with that. But, but I want us to move toward a definition that allows us to understand the nature of joy so that we can know something about how to access joy. Joy, and the best place to start, I believe, is in the Word of God. So we take our cues from the way joy is described from the beginning of this book all the way through the end. And I'm indebted especially to the work of Tim Mackey and John Collins. They do some amazing scholarly work on weaving or tracing the themes that are weaved through Scripture, including the theme of joy. Because there are all kinds of words that are used in the Hebrew Bible and in the Greek New Testament to describe joy. In the Hebrew language, we have these words we have shemak, we have sason, we have gil in the Greek New Testament, we have kara, we have euphrasune, we have agaliasis. All kinds of words that have different nuances and different meanings in different contexts, but they all attempt to do the same thing. They all attempt to describe a basic kind of happiness, a sense of contentment and satisfaction, a kind of gladness about being alive, a kind of giddiness about the human condition. So when you begin in the beginning of the Bible, the first stories the poets tell us that when God created all things God was so very pleased with it that God used descriptions that were unlike any other description God looked over all that God had created and said this is very good and then created humankind in such a way to not only come up from the very good stuff that God had created but to also interact with to subdue to to enjoy to engage the stuff that God considers very good creation is designed to be enjoyed by creation and all throughout the, the the texture the the sweep of the old and new testaments we find that people experience joy in all those different expressions well through art and music through laughter through beauty through creation, through, through an abundant harvest, through a healthy flock or a herd. They, we read about people enjoying all those words I described, joy found in human relationships, in romance, in all kinds of human encounters. In fact, in, in Psalm uh, 104, we're told that, that like a bottle of good wine is God's gift to bring joy to people's hearts, right? We're also told that in Jeremiah, all you have to do is take a look at a wedding. You you know, when you've been to a wedding and, and you see these two stories coming together, whether these stories are the first stories being weaved together, or you know something about the brokenness of one story and maybe the brokenness of another, and now they're coming together and you just marvel at what God can do with broken things, and at a wedding, you can delight and sense joy about a God who could do that kind of thing. We're also told in the Proverbs that you find joy by watching children, your children. That may be a stretch for some of us, but there's joy found in watching your children. Listen, we were at the concert a couple of weeks ago or last week and the, the children's choir was singing up here. It was wonderful. Beth Irwin does an amazing job with this choir. And these kids were singing and I loved it. John Austin on the very front was just singing his heart out one of our kids in the, in the church, and he's kind of you know, fidgeting like you do when you're five, you know, and, and he kind of stumbles off the stage and back onto the stage and keeps on singing, and I'm just here grinning ear to ear because I can't, I can't see that without thinking about, we lived in Tennessee, and when we lived in Tennessee, I was a pastor at a church, and, and my wife was the children's choir directors, and it was Christmas, and we had, well, we had the entire church filled. It was the big day, and all the kids were on the stage, and they were singing, and it was wonderful and my son one of them Jackson was about 5 he's about the same age and and you know like he weighed like 30 pounds soaking wet you know but he had this big new red christmas sweater on and these these new itchy pants that he didn't like to wear and and he's singing and they're making music and it's christmas and it's awesome and and, and as he's singing he begins he begins to itch And itches were made to be scratched. So he commences to scratch the itch where it was in in an awkward place. And his wife, I mean, my wife, his mother, the choir director was, stop, stop, stop because it's funny when it's somebody else's kid. And she's like, I'm in tears over here, just laughing. Meanwhile, my son, creative as he is, he notices he can't do that anymore, and he begins, he takes his sleeve, and he withdraws his arm (laughs) into his sleeve. It's it's an armless sleeve now hanging, and you can see inside his sweater, he takes all the way down the front of his, he's ingenious, I mean, nobody's ever gonna know. Watch, they don't know. And he goes all the way to the place where he needed to take care of problems. He took care of the problem. And then you see a hand with turn and then comes right back out the sleeve and he's joy to the world, you know. And I'm in tears, the church is crying, laughing. And I think of the proverb we just read that with, that is joy, that is eternity breaking into heaven. And I'm like, whoa, this is the good stuff right there. That's good stuff. And there's joy everywhere in God's good creation. It's it's not that there's no joy. It's accessing it. It's seeing it. There's one proverb that says, you know, when you see a friend that you haven't seen in a long time, well, the joy that comes to your heart is like, well, when you smell a good perfume, the pleasure that it brings to your nostrils, that's what it's like seeing an old friend again. there is joy everywhere but the thing about biblical joy that is different than every other diminished version of joy is that biblical joy is not simply hey we're just going to be happy and neglect the fact that some of us are hurting and some are suffering we're just going to kind of bypass all that and just pretend pie in the sky like everything is just great biblical joy is not that kind of joy Biblical joy makes room for the suffering of the world. Biblical joy is the kind of joy that says, you know, there is a world that has been broken and that brokenness has created, well, suffering and disease and heartache and injustice and oppression. And there are experiences in this life that are absolutely irrefutable, that are hard, and those hard situations cannot be denied but biblical joy says even in the midst of those crises biblical joy is a joy that makes space to delight be glad satisfied content even in the midst of the trouble yeah so here's an example the Israelites they're liberated from Egyptian slavery and they now move into the wilderness and the first thing to do is sing for joy I mean, when the psalmist wrote about it later, this is how he described it. He said, the Lord caused his people to leave with joy, his chosen ones, with shouts of joy. I mean, now they're, they're now in a desert. And the promised land is miles away and years away. And yet, what the Bible does there, it introduces a new version of joy, which is in the context of wilderness, there is no better place for the emergence of joy. So suffering and joy go hand in hand. As you continue to watch throughout the sweep of the entire scripture, there's this this reminder that it's a different kind of joy we're talking about. And this kind of joy is a kind of joy that is not dependent upon our present circumstances, but it's dependent upon our awareness of our future hope. That means that we are grounded, not in the circumstances we face right around us, but we're grounded by a love that has has demonstrated it will pull us through those circumstances. That's why we can sing in the wilderness. So so joy has something to do with living even in the context of suffering and being glad. So the, the prophets say, you know, there is coming one, a Messiah the Christ of God, who when he comes, there will be like an eternal kind of joy, one that's not temporary, that's here a while and then leaves. This is how he describes it. He says, those redeemed by the Lord will return to Zion with glad shouts, eternal joy, crowning their heads. Happiness and joy will overtake them. And he's talking about Christ. Which is why the text we read a moment ago is written the way it's written. I bring you good tidings of great joy, which is for all people. Because the birth of Christ is the birth of a joy that won't go away. It's the infusion of an eternal joy into the temporary experience we call the human journey. That's why even Jesus himself rejoiced. This is what we read in Luke's gospel. Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit, gave thanks to the Father. He even told his disciples, you can do this too. You can find joy in the midst of suffering. He says in Matthew's gospel, when people reject and persecute you for following me, rejoice and be very glad because your reward is great in heaven. So joy has something to do with waking up to something else that's present even if it feels like it's absent. So the early church, our forefathers and foremothers, our forebearers in the faith, they demonstrated almost everywhere you turn in the New Testament that they were communities that were, as Acts puts it, full of grace, or full of joy. They were full of joy. Even in the face of conflict and persecution and in some situations even martyrdom, there are stories of Christians being martyred, burned at the stake, and as they are burning at the stake, singing hymns of joy. What kind of world is this in which you are able to sing while while dying? It's a world of people who believe that death itself has been conquered. And if they believed as they did that death itself was conquered through the resurrection of Jesus, well then, joy makes sense, no matter what you face. That's why Paul in Philippians talked about the joy of faith. He talked about the joy of the Lord. And it's not like Paul was in denial, attempting to pretend as if everything is just fine. Everything is not just fine. He missed his family, his loved ones. He complained about suffering. He had problems in his body, in his eyes, the thorn in his flesh. And yet, He said there is a way, in 2 Corinthians he put it this way, there's a way to be full of sorrow and yet rejoicing. Yeah. Full of sorrow and yet rejoicing. So, if that is the context of biblical joy, that it's as if the Bible is saying, everywhere you turn, creation is embedded, imbued, it's infused with joy everywhere you turn. If you can have the eyes to see it, if you have the access points to receive it, it's full of joy. Every moment pregnant with joy, even in the midst of trouble. Well, then, that moves us toward a definition I want to use. Now, this is not a perfect definition. It's not complete but based on biblical joy and the contours of biblical joy this is what i want to use as a framework in our pursuit to access true joy this is what i want to say that joy is a soul satisfaction in the here and now as if everything you'll ever need you already have can you just let that marinate in the juices of you for a moment It's a soul satisfaction in the here and now, as if everything you'll ever need, you already have. See, a soul satisfaction is different. It's deeper. It's more interior. It's an interior awareness, this soul satisfaction, that God sees you. God has always seen you. God has redeemed and repaired and reconciled you. God has come to you and embraced you in all of your imperfections. And because of that confidence, then a soul satisfaction is possible no matter what the situation. You can live with an unflappable joy because of whose you are. And in the midst that allows you to live here and now, it means you can be fully present where you are, when you are, and not want to be anywhere else. There's a difference between being present and being present, isn't there? Sometimes we have to learn to be fully present and joy is a soul satisfaction that allows us to be truly present where we are, when we are and not really need to be any place else. It lets you live right now because of what you know is coming. So, The word for joy that I love the most in the New Testament is kara. We hit one of those a moment ago. At the heart of the word kara is a a root that means grace. To live truly with joy means to recognize every moment is pregnant with the possibility of grace. That allows you to, to wake up every day with an awareness that what I need most, I already have. Everything I'm looking for is already right in front of me, right? So there is a, a long time ago. i, I got to tell you, maybe if you can handle a pastoral confession, can we do confession? Damon, is it okay to confess in front of your people? If I, if I confess, I don't, I don't want them to run out on me. But, you know, if you think you're the only one who's never experienced joy or it's just beyond the reach You need to understand that pastors are no strangers to joylessness. Pastors are no strangers to joylessness. You can preach the stars down about joy and be joyless. You can go through seasons in which you wax eloquent on the biblical contours and the Hebrew and the Greek uh, expressions of joy and yet be the last one to leave the parking lot the loneliest one there yeah now there was a time early in my ministry when i was very early just getting started and the boys were like you know here and here and 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 i was preaching three times a week first of all nobody needs three times a week you don't need to hear a preacher three times a week that's why i put all three in one sermon for you (laughs) And I preached Sunday morning and Sunday evening and Wednesday evening, and I was exhausted because in a smaller church, you also do, if you're a solo pastor, you do just about everything else. You you do administration, and you do all the pastoral care and all the hospital visits and all the nursing home. I was preaching in nursing homes every month as well. And you do all the vision work and all the stuff, and you're just getting started, depleted. And by the way, when you have a week that is full like that and the sermon's not finished, guess what Saturday is for you? Mm. (laughs) I'm preaching to somebody in the house. At least I know somebody is listening. And and so the the problem, though, is if I'm preaching to nobody but Damon today, the problem is Little Lee plays on Saturday mornings. Soccer games are Saturday mornings and now sometimes Sundays. But do you know what it's like to be on the sidelines and not really be on the sidelines? Because you turn to the other dads, and say, how's your dad, what are you gonna do? And they're like, what are you gonna do after this? And we're thinking about, you know, we're gonna watch the game at our house, we're gonna have some food, it's gonna be great, why not you come on over? Yeah, I'm going back to the office. And I'm telling you, even pastors can know something about joylessness. So one day, in another church, I, I come home somewhat similarly depleted. And yet, we had committee meetings all afternoon. So you have enough time to get home grab a bite, get back out. Really not enough time to change clothes. But we get home, and now Laura has made us some sandwiches. I'm eating. I'm getting ready for the next meetings, and then, of course, for the message. And then I hear the boys, they're outside on the trampoline, bouncing, having a great time. And I was almost despising the good time they were having because I was still working. And they were doing their job as I was doing my job, and then the laughter moved from a low murmur to a squeal. And all of a sudden, something happened. I turned around to look out the window and I saw that the bottom had fallen out of the sky. It was raining, it was pouring down, and they were jumping and laughing. And then, with their face against the safety net, Dad, come jump with us. I'm like, That's well, okay. I, I got to, you know, I'm doing my thing. Go, go. That's okay. No, Dad, come jump with us. After two or three of those, I said, Well, forget it. I shut the computer and in shirt and tie and suit, pants and socks, I ran outside hungry for some of what they were eating and I jumped with them in the rain and it soaked us to the bone and clothes stuck to our bodies and we we jumped and we wrestled. It was WWF in that place and we tickled and we laughed till we couldn't breathe anymore and I'm lying on the trampoline with my two progeny left and right and the rain is hitting us in the face and I remember letting out this kind of primal sigh. "Ah." Because heaven had come. Eternity had broken in through a thunderstorm. And being soaked in that moment of eternal joy, I was aware that this is all that matters. It is all that matters. Everything else is in service to that. And if we can remain awake to those moments that are happening, not once in a while, but everywhere we turn. If somehow we can move through life with what Ignatius referred to as a holy indifference. To not be indifferent, but to have a holy indifference, which means I know things matter, I know the report is due, I know I got a paper coming, but holy indifference means I'll do that work, but there's something holy happening now. And I'm living right now in about 10 minutes of eternity because it is a foretaste of how we will spend the rest of eternity. Joy, yeah, joy is the breaking in of eternal hope. And if we have the ears to hear it and the eyes to see it, we will welcome it. And we will realize that every moment, I mean, what if this moment right now is the only thing that matters? Sometimes I'll say that to Laura, we'll be on a date. And we'll be sitting there eating, it's just the two of us, and I'll say, "What?" or to the boys, I've done this before too, what if right now the entire universe has been constructed only for this moment? Right now. And if we could remain with this kind of hyper-awakeness, to the possibility that joy is always breaking in. I mean, it happened Friday night. It's not just once in a while. Friday night, I had the pastors at my house, all the pastors and their spouses, and we ate good food and we laughed and, and they stayed. And I looked at one point that some were out by the fireplace, some were on my porch, on the swing, some in the kitchen, and I just stood back and grinned at the delight of the simplicity of being together. I looked over at Laura and grinned as if to say, This is it. This is why I don't want it to end. I love these people and I want them to stay late. I want them to eventually go home. (laughs) But they stayed late because I told them to. So how do you access that? What do you do? What do you do? If it's true that there really is no end to the joy that is around us and if it's true that it's really about accessing it, what do you do? You do two things. You fix your eyes on Jesus and you give your life away. Yeah. You fix your eyes on Jesus, and you give your life away. So in Hebrews 12, we hear these words, fix your eyes upon Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So Jesus is our pioneer and perfecter in this faith. So fix our eyes on him. He gives us the example of how to do this thing for the joy that was set before him. In other words, he knew that there was a joy that was coming because he understood the outcome of how this story ends. And because he knew that his resurrection would bring an end to death and the sting of death and suffering, he was able to endure the cross that was before him. So fixing his eyes on the joy that was set ahead of him He was able to endure the cross. That's what we call proleptic living. Prolepsis is a Greek word, two Greek words that are crammed together. One of them, pro, which means ahead of time, and one of them, lepsis, which is from a word from which we get eyes, vision, seeing. Proleptic living is seeing something that's coming, but then living now as if that thing has already broken in because it has. Because it has. We live as if we believe the thing that's coming has already come, and that is what we call joy. Bouts of joy, moments of joy in which we recognize now that I can be free, I can live with a holy indifference. Now that I know where this thing is going, I have an unflappable lightness of being about me. Because I am free from what you or I think may be the most eternal thing. Because it's not. I am free to have a lightness of being, to ride kind of loose in the saddle. And not be bound by the things that we think will end us because they won't. Yeah. So you fix your eyes on Jesus. The second is you give your life away. Because Jesus fixed his eyes on the joy that was to come, he was able to give his life away. So Shane Claiborne is with Sojourners. He's with the Red Letter Christians. He's a a writer, author. Um, uh, Also, he works for Justice Around the World. He worked for uh, Mother Teresa for a while in Calcutta, India, with street children. These kids who were raised on the street, hundreds of street kids raised on the streets, and, and they begged for their sustenance every day. But every week, Mother Teresa and the sisters and he would throw a party for the street kids because no one tells them that they have dignity, and no one shows them that they have inherent worth because of who created them. So every week, they throw a party. They have music. They have a feast, and there's laughter and games, and it's wonderful. One day, One of the boys came up to Shane and said, he found out it was his birthday, but he was a little sad because he's not gonna get anything for his birthday, he's living on the streets, he's got nothing, and he's got no one. And so Shane wanted to do something special for him on his birthday. But he knew what the sisters had taught, don't do for one what you can't do for a 100 because then you're gonna have a problem. But he's like, yeah, but it's his birthday. So he broke the rules. Sometimes, Love breaks the rules. He bought him an ice cream. He brought the little child an ice cream and he he held the ice cream as if he had been given the Holy Grail. He looked at it like like he had just won the lottery and the first thing he said was, we've got ice cream. His instinct was to turn and give away. He knew that the best thing to do with the best things in life is give it away. So he, he lined all of his friends, there were a hundred kids, and he said, we're all gonna get a lick. One, two, three, and all down. hundred kids lick it. And then at the end, he comes around to Shane with a little sloppy mess at the bottom, and said, we saved a lick for you and say, okay, ah. The best thing to do with the best things in life is give it away. See, this kid had nothing, nothing, but had everything. He had everything because he recognized that the only thing that matters is what's right in front of you and that God is infusing into the right here and the right now everything that has ever mattered.